Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are breaking down the Monday, November 13th slate of college basketball DFS. We are going to be breaking down the games that you want to target for your lineups, as well as the best players that you're going to want to target for your lineups on this big time Monday slate. It is a big week of college basketball. We've got the Champions Classic going on on Tuesday. So we got a nice little appetizer here on Monday with this slate. Got a few uh, great non-conference matchups with the Gavit tip-off games, and then a few other matchups that are kind of under the radar that are going to be really fun to watch and really good for DFS. Purposes. So we're going to break all that down here for you on today's episode, and we'll be back tomorrow to break down the Champions Classic as well as the full Tuesday slate for DraftKings and FanDuel. Now, right now, we are currently a four-sport podcast. We've got the weekly golf content with the PGA Tour, which is actually wrapping up its fall swing this week. We've got weekly college football content for all the Saturday main slates. We've got NFL content, and then now we've got college basketball content as well, coming to you once or twice a week at least with college basketball content, the on how much my schedule allows because I am a busy guy. I've got a two-month-old daughter at home. So, you know, just trying to get in as much of this content as I can. If, if I'm doing the research for myself, I'm going to be getting it out here to you guys here on Mike's Money Picks. So make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you subscribe to the channel. That way you'll be notified when all episodes drop for all four sports. And also go subscribe to the audio feed on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts because some episodes are going to be audio only. Sometimes I don't get to break out the full setup and do the full process and you know get the full upload. Sometimes I don't have time in my schedule to do that. So if you subscribe to the audio feed, you will get those notifications as well. Also, I will be like posting pretty much all the episodes on Twitter. So um, if you follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks, you'll kind of get the lowdown on what episodes are um, you know, going to be on YouTube as opposed to what's on the audio feed and, you know, where you can find each little piece of content that I'm producing here in this fall season. All right. So that is enough with the introduction. We've gone on for about two minutes. So let's go ahead and start breaking down this big time Monday slate. All right. So looking at the board here at DraftKings, I got to be honest, I really don't normally like doing this or doing the podcast this way, but I'm going to be going game by game for the breakdowns tonight. And the reason why is I think that this slate with, you know, it being a big time slate with double digit games, I think this is a slate where you can approach it with the mindset of almost like with a football slate, like for college football or for the NFL, where you can look at the different game environments and then kind of decide which game environments that you want to target and then how you're going to target them. You you know, do I think that I'm going to go with the guards heavy in this one? Do I think that it's going to be a big man dominated game? Can I pair a big with a guard? Do I want to pair guys on both teams? There's all kinds of strategy discussions you can kind of come up with tonight is for all these games. So that's why I'm going to be going here game by game on this breakdown because that's how I'm going to be approaching this slate from my perspective when I build my lineup. So let's go ahead and t start off with the first game of the slate, which is actually the game of the night, in my opinion. It is Michigan taking on St. John's in one of the Gavit tip-off games. And this is projected to be just a really, really good game. You've got um, this projected score by Ken Palm is Michigan, uh, 77 to 76. Both of these teams are going to play fast, and both these teams have guys who can score. This is the first real big game of the Rick Patino era at St. John's, so you know they're going to be going all out for this this one. Um, when looking at um, Michigan, they have not really been tested in a close game environment yet, but they have 
played their starters big time minutes in both their games, which is good for DFS purposes. If you know the starters are going to be out there on the floor, so Doug McDaniel is actually Michigan's leader in usage so far. He's at twenty twenty six point six percent, and then you got Olivier and Kamwa at twenty four point three percent. I think both of them are guys that you can go to here on this slate. They're both pretty darn solid price adjusted plays for what you're getting. Um, Kamwa though is their best rebounder, so you're getting a guy who is really a threat for a double-double, which gives you that bonus on DraftKings, and I think that that kind of gives him a little bit of an edge in terms of a um, just pure ranking standpoint, but I really do like McDaniel as a solid per-dollar play at only 6,800 on DraftKings, and he's a Ford Bond fan duel as well. After Nkamwa, they really do rotate their forwards a lot. Um, they play um, Terrence Williams Jr., Terrace Reed Jr., Trey Jackson, and Will Shetter quite a bit at the forward position. Out of that group, Williams is probably the best scorer. Terrence Reed is probably the guy that I would say is probably the most likely to um, find my lineups. He only plays about 50% of the minutes, but if he ever were to play a bigger portion of the minutes, he's got really good per-minute numbers, and he's got a pretty high usage rate as well. Will Shetter, if he continues to play the same minutes that he has been, he's playing about half the minutes as well with Terrence Reed. They kind of swap out a lot, um, and he's scoring 18 fantasy points a game in only you know 19 minutes a game. So if he were able to boost his minutes, he's a guy that I think would be pretty solid, but he's only $3,500. So if he continues to give you 18 minutes and 18 18 fantasy points at only $3,500. That's a pretty solid play. The only other guard outside of McDaniel that really does anything for this Michigan team is Namari Burnett, the Alabama transfer. Um, and I think you could be looking at a situation where if McDaniel were to ever get in foul trouble or if McDaniel were to be struggling, that would be a big time shouldering, uh, like shooting, scoring, and ball handling load on Namari Burnett. And I think that would be a big time boost for him. Um, so if you're not playing McDaniel, Burnett's probably not a bad option to target. Now for the St. John's team, St. John's surprised everybody back in uh, game one by leaving Jordan Dingle off of the starting lineup by having him come off the bench. Nobody was really expecting that. Dingle was a really solid player at Penn last year, put up a lot of good numbers, and he didn't really do much in game one for St. John's coming off the bench. So what it led to was Dennis Jenkins, the Iona transfer, had a really big game, 38.3 fantasy points against Stony Brook, um, and then Chase Ledlam, I'm sorry, Chris Ledlam, um, who's another Ivy League transfer as well had another really big game with 46 fantasy points. Those were the two guys that actually led them in usage with Dingle's role being much smaller than everybody thought it was going to be. Then you also had Joel Soriano, who doesn't really have a huge usage rate, um, but he doesn't really need a big-time usage rate. He gets a lot of his fantasy points from rebounding and from double-doubles, um, and so he's a guy that doesn't really need to be on the ball a whole lot to give you a big-time fantasy performance. I do like him and from a pure matchups perspective against this Michigan front court, but the problem is that he's currently questionable. He's apparently dealing with um, some kind of plantar fasciitis issue, which I imagine is pretty painful, but I don't really think it would be something that would kind of keep him off the floor. It's definitely something you're going to have to monitor, but I would expect him to play, and I wouldn't expect it to lessen his effectiveness. Just probably be something in terms of pain that he'd have to deal with throughout the game. Now, 
Another thing that would be interesting, though, is if he does miss, the only true big they have on the roster is Zuby Ejiofor, who's a Kansas transfer, who, when he was at Kansas, was a really solid per-minute player, just never played a whole lot of minutes because they always had a lot of good bigs at Kansas. So um, I think he's a guy that would definitely be in play at the flat three grand if Soriano is, in fact, going to miss. But like I said, I don't expect Soriano to miss this game. There's a whole lot of ways you can attack this Michigan-St. John's game, but I would prefer to play this one through the stars as opposed to through potential value plays. The next game on the board is Florida Gulf Coast taking on Pitt. That one is projected to be Pitt 79 to 67. Pitt has scored 89 or more points in both games so far, both of which have been blowouts. So it's kind of really hard to kind of glean how the usage and, and the scoring is going to look for this Pitt team in a close game. But the good news is they are projected to win this one by 12. So it might not matter a whole lot here in this one. What's interesting is that Leggett, the Rhode Island transfer, and Blake Henson have actually been the two leaders that have tied for the team lead in usage. But it has been Carrington, Carlton Carrington, who has really scored a lot of fantasy points. And when you look at it, he's done it by just really filling up the stat sheet. You know, he had 12 rebounds and 10 assists against North Carolina A&T. Um, I don't think he's going to necessarily do that again this game. But he's a guy that's been scoring without having the ball in his hands a whole lot. Now, in terms of a matchup against FGCU, um, FGCU is a smaller team. So I would expect Pitt to be able to really control the boards with their big men in this one, which would mean really good news for Blake Henson, who's sitting there at 7,400, averaging four times salary for uh, you know the price that he's currently at. It would also be really good for Guillermo Diaz-Graham, sitting at 5,600, who was kind of their breakout player at the NCAA tournament last season. But the guy I really like on Pitt is Federico Federico. He is a clear misprice at only $4,500. He's averaging pretty much six times his salary, close to seven times his salary, honestly. Um, and he plays more minutes than Guillermo Diaz-Graham. Federico is the starting center for this team and he's a guy that should be able to really control the glass against this FGCU team. And to me, he is one of the clear top value plays for this slate, and I think you can play him just as a one-off piece. You don't have to really play anybody else from this game. He is the piece on Pitt that I like. Now, for FGCU, they're an interesting team because what you're looking at is um, – for their stats, they played two games so far, but I'm really going to prioritize the Indiana game when looking at stats. That was a close loss where they were in it the whole way, so you kind of got to see how they're going to you know, manage their minutes and manage their rotation and, and manage their usage in a close ball game. So that's the one that I would be looking at as opposed to their game against Ave Maria, which... I didn't know it was a real college until just now. Um, so when looking at their roster, Chase Johnston and Zach Anderson are their two best players. Anderson did significantly better against Indiana. He had 32.25 fantasy points in that game. Definitely a guy who was in play for me here against Pitt. And then you've also got their small ball center, Keyshawn Kelman, who is a transfer from Princeton. Holy crap, there were a lot of transfers out of the Ivy League that are on this slate. But anyway, he um, had a real big game against Ave Maria. Didn't do much against Indiana because Indiana is really big down low. Kelman is going to be asked to do a lot in this game. Whether or not he can do it is another story, but at only $4,600, you don't have to pay a whole lot to find out. And then to me, they also do have one clear misprice on this FGCU team. It is DeLeon Johnson, who is only $3,100, came off the bench the Indiana game and actually took the most shots for them, led them in usage in that game as well. 26.5 fantasy points against Indiana. If the game plan is the same against Pitt, you know, a team that's better than FGCU, GCU, then you can kind of expect the same role for DeLeon Johnson, right? Maybe he comes in and, and is able to um, put up a pretty solid fantasy point total again, and he's only $3,100. Um, and so he's kind of, to me, a clear misprice and a guy that is probably going to be pretty popular on DraftKings tonight. 
Villanova at Penn is next up on the slate, and I gotta say, this is one of the uglier game environments of the slate. It's projected to be 75-65 Villanova, according to Ken Palm. And Villanova, they've kind of pieced together a roster with a lot of transfers, and it's a lot of guys that don't really have the same role with Villanova that they had where they were at their former school. They're really a balanced team. Um, Tyler Burton um, was a really high usage player at Richmond last year. It feels like he's been in college forever, um, but he it just really hasn't been that same high usage player at Villanova, and I think he's priced up like he's still at Richmond. So he's a guy that I'm not really all that interested in. Um, Eric Dixon is Villanova's big man, but he's actually not that big. So while Penn is not the biggest team in their own right, this isn't like an example where you've got a seven-footer for Villanova going up against just an undersized Ivy League front court. Like that's not really the case. Eric Dixon's only about 6'9, but he is their big who should have a clear advantage on the boards. Villanova's best player, in my opinion, though, is going to be Justin Moore um, for this season. And he hasn't really done a whole lot from a fantasy perspective this year, but he hasn't been super efficient and he hasn't done a whole lot else out outside of score. I expect that to change as the season goes on, and he's the guy who has the ball in his hands. So he is a guy who I do find interesting for them, and he does lead their team in usage. TJ Bamba has been pretty successful so far in the season. He's a Washington State transfer. He's contributed a lot outside of scoring, which I think has helped him a little bit, and I don't really know if that's going to continue because when he was at Washington State, he could really fill it up, but he, he really has been contributing in other ways this year at Villanova. They also have one clear misprice for me on this Villanova team, and it's Jordan Longino. Um, I would consider him mispriced. He is not a starter. He is their backup point guard, but he's going to play about half the minutes, and when he comes in, he's a very high-usage player. In his two games so far, he's hit over four times value in both games for his salary. Remember, in college basketball DFS, pretty much four times value is like the baseline. If your whole team gets you four times value, you're probably going to cash in your double up. You might end up min cashing in a tournament if you get 4X value from everybody. So Longino is a guy that I would definitely consider in play at only $3,600. Um, and I'm really not super interested in anybody on the other side of this game at Penn. Villanova is a good defensive team and they're also a pretty slow team. So I don't really think there's a whole lot of opportunity for these Penn guys. And I think most of them are appropriately priced. Um, Clark Slychert, Slychert, Slyert. I, I, I have no idea how to pronounce this name. I've never seen a pen game with the sound on, but Clark Slychert is the guy who is probably their best player along with Tyler Perkins. But like I said, these two guys are appropriately priced and they're going up against a team who's really, really good defensively. So I guess maybe your hope was with Tyler Perkins is that he does have an efficient scoring night, which he did not last time out. He was only three for 11 from the field against St. Jones. If you get a good scoring night out of Tyler Perkins, he might be able to provide you some value. Cam Thrower, I think, is a little bit of a misprice. Um, he is one of their starters. He does play big-time minutes, um, and he's averaging five times value for his salary. So maybe he's a guy you could look at for some value. But this is a team that pretty much plays their five starters and not a whole lot from the bench. So while they're going up against a really good defensive team in Villanova and a slow-tempo team in Villanova, it's not like they're a total cross-off because you know they do only play five guys. So if you're able to just target those five guys, you might have a little bit of success. Next game up is going to be the battle for Miami, FIU at Miami. And this one is projected to be Miami 91 to 70, according to Ken Palm, which is one of the most lopsided games this slate. Miami is the projected highest scoring team for the slate. And 
it's because of largely the tempo that both these teams play at. We know Miami with Jim Laranega likes to get up and down, but FIU is currently ranked 14th in the nation in tempo, and they've given up 80-plus points in both their games so far to UCF and Tarleton State. So I would assume Miami's going to be able to put up 80 again. And the good news is with Miami is that they are a team that's going to do it with their starters. They've played two blowout games so far, and they played their starters pretty much the entire time in both games. Every single one of their five starters has played over 65% of the minutes in both games, which is pretty staggering. Norchad Omir is going to be a very popular play. Um, he is a double-double machine. He is really efficient. He doesn't really miss a whole lot of shots, um, and he's just a guy who dominates in the paint, and I expect him to dominate this FIU team in the paint. Um, they don't really have a whole lot of size down low, and Omir doesn't need a whole lot of shots to hit value. He's only taken 21 total shots in two games, which is pretty solid. Matthew Cleveland is Miami's Jordan Miller replacement. He can really fill up the stat sheet in categories other than scoring, which is kind of nice, um, but he's priced up pretty high. He's not my preferred option on this Miami team. I do like Nigel Pack, who's likely to lead the team in assists. And if Miami gets to 91 points like they're projected, you could assume it's because Pack is dishing out a lot of assists. So I think he's a pretty good uh, like stacking piece if you're willing to play multiple Miami guys. The other two you can play are Wuga Poplar, who was a really good defensive player last year and seems to have really upped his game in scoring. He scored over 20 points in both games so far, which is weird because it's never been his role when he was at Miami, and he wasn't that good at scoring when he was at Miami the previous years, but he's really stepped it up. What's concerning is that he isn't doing a whole lot else outside of scoring, so he's a little bit more of a riskier play than some of these other Miami guys who are filling up the stat sheet in other ways. Speaking of which, Bensley Joseph has been dependent on steals and blocks for fantasy points so far. He had nine total blocks and steals against UCF, which largely contributed to his 46 fantasy point performance. Uh, you don't need nine steals from him to hit value and I don't think he's going to do that again but at only $4,200 he's going to play big minutes he's going to have plenty of opportunities for fantasy points that starting five for Miami is a line is a lineup that I definitely want to get somebody from if that's my strategy for playing a lineup if I'm attacking this game I definitely think you can play multiple Miami starters for the FIU side of things, Arturo Dean is their best all-around player. Um, he will contribute in a whole lot of categories other than scoring as well. I think he's certainly in play. If FIU keeps this game close, it's probably because he's having a pretty good game and putting up a lot of stats. Jaden Brewer is a high-usage player who comes off the bench. It's I don't really know if he's going to continue to have that same role, you know, playing up against a really solid team in Miami, but he, he is a high usage player when he is out on the floor. And then FIU rotates their bigs a lot, um, like way too much for any one of them to have value. So I'm really not super interested in anybody on this FIU team other than Dean or Jaden Brewer. All right, let's take a quick breather. We broke down four games. Let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the second half of... All right, so before we get to the next game, I do want to mention where you can get more information from me, and there's quite a few places that you can. If you want to know who ends up making my lineups or my thoughts on specific players, there's definitely ways you can get that. First off, you can follow me on Twitter, or I guess X now, at Mike's Money Picks. I tweet out the DFS rundown for every college basketball and college football slate, just kind of um, going over some of my favorite categorical plays um, for each DFS slate. And also, if there's any breaking injury news, I, I generally tweet out my thoughts about it if it affects you know how I feel about some players. I'm also in the Fantasy Corner Discord. Link is in the description on YouTube and on the audio feed. 
there's a lot of smart people in there who play a lot of DFS for a lot of different sports. And, and we got a lot of really good discussion going on there, especially in the college basketball channel. And it's 100% free. So join that if you want to talk to a lot of people who are really good at DFS. The guys in there have really helped me get better at NBA DFS, which is not one of my strong suits. And so I could not recommend that enough. One of the ways to get better at DFS is by playing or by talking to people who play a lot of DFS, right? Um, and then also, I do write up my full slate articles on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. I write up a full article for every college football and college basketball slate detailing my core plays as well as my plan of attack as to how I am building my lineups and, and kind of strategizing for just how I'm approaching each slate. Um, I'm not going to sit here and guarantee you're going to win money off of them, but I can guarantee you that you can read it, get a lot of information and a lot of strategy on ways to get better at playing DFS on DraftKings and FanDuel. And then also, if you were looking for anything new this college basketball season, head on over to signupexpert.com slash Mike's Picks. We're partnered with Sign Up Expert, and what they do is they give you the best offers and promo codes for new users on any DFS player prop and sportsbook site, and it's synced to your area, so it shows you what's legal. I know on January 1st, when sports betting becomes legal in North Carolina, where I'm at, I'm going to be heading straight there, so that way I can get all the best promo codes for new users. So, signupexpert.com slash Mike's Picks if you're looking to try something new this year. Underdog is also on there, which is super popular, um, and, and I'm a big promoter of Underdog. I really enjoy what Underdog does, so um, give it a shot if you want to try something new. All right, now let's go ahead and head on over to the next game, which is Ryder at Nebraska. It's projected to be Nebraska 84 to 68, quite a lot of points for this Nebraska Cornhuskers team. Now, one thing that's really interesting for Nebraska is you're going to have to check on the status of Keizei Tomonaga, aka the Japanese Curry. This is a guy last year that really lit up the scoreboard, had some really big time performances for Nebraska in Big Ten season. He's got legitimate 40 45 fancy point upside. And you need to know if he's playing before you play anybody on Nebraska. If he does play, I think he's a bit of a misprice. But I really don't expect him to play. But he hasn't been ruled out yet. So it's definitely something you're going to have to check. Now, Nebraska's won both their games in blowouts. So it's really hard to kind of glean from those what they're going to do with their rotation in, in an actual competitive environment. What we do know, though, is that Ryder is not a big team. And so rank masked has a potential to just kind of be a bully down low and use his size to his advantage like he did in the Florida A&M game where he had 44.5 fantasy points, 16 rebounds in that game for Mask. So I think he absolutely has the potential to do that again. And he's at a price at $8,500 where I think a lot of people are going to opt to pay up for Zach Eady or Joel Soriano or Norchad O'Meara. So I think Mask might go a little bit under own, which makes him a little bit of a sneaky play here in this game. Bryce Williams, the Charlotte transfer, and as a Charlotte 49ers alumnus, broke my heart when he transferred. Like, like we just can't have nice things at Charlotte. But um, he's been really good at Nebraska. The fantasy points number ha haven't really dictated how good he's been. Um, he's had a really high usage rate, and he does a lot for this team other than score. He's been kind of cold from the field so far, um, but he's probably their best all-around player, and, and I expect him to put up big numbers as the season goes on, and I think a lot of people are going to be off of him because of his price tag, but he's got a big usage rate. He had a big usage rate at Charlotte last year, so just trust that he's going to be more efficient, and that's going to lead to more fantasy scoring for him. Now, the backup guards for Nebraska, if Tominaga is out, I do think can provide a little bit of value. Um, you've got C.J. Will um, at only $4,200. And then the coach's kid, Sam Hoiberg, at $4,400. These are two guys who come in off the bench and they, they're they kind of just like designated shooters. <laughs> like they come in and their goal is to score. Um, and so why not play somebody, you know, down there, low price tag, who you know is going to have the ball in their hands, you know is going to get some shots up. Even if they are coming off the bench, they're, they're intriguing plays in my opinion. Now let's go ahead and talk about Ryder. Um, 
So Ryder is not a really great basketball team, which is why I think Nebraska is projected to beat them by double digits. Um, Mervin James and TJ Weeks are probably their two best players. Um, they're priced at a point where they probably don't have like legitimate like five or six times upside, um, but they are their two best players. They're going to have the ball in their hands a lot. I would probably prefer to play Weeks out of the two of them because Weeks got two five times value. He got 37 fantasy points in a 30-point loss to Marquette. So if you can get to 35 or 37 fantasy points in that environment, then you can definitely get to 35 fantasy points against Nebraska. So TJ Weeks is a guy that I would be considering but not super duper enthusiastic about. I think he's a pretty solid cash game player because I do think he has a high floor because of how much the ball is going to be in his hands. Now, they do have a high usage player coming off the bench, and that is DJ Dudley. Um, played 16 minutes against Marquette in that blowout, came in, um, got 12 shots up and scored 16 fantasy points. That's not bad for a guy who's only $3,800. And I think you could do much worse than him. I think he's definitely a value play who is in play for me. Um, probably not a guy I'm going to play a whole lot of. Like I, When I play DFS for college basketball, I'm generally a guy who 20 maxes and plays um, you know, 20 lineups for, for every slate. Uh, I'm not a high stakes player by any means. I generally max out like the quarter arcade and the dime time. Um, but I'm not a guy that is going to play, um, you know, like super high stakes. But if, if I'm throwing out 20 lineups out there, DJ Dudley is definitely a guy that you can put in one or two of them um, in order to kind of just have some different value guards in there. Now, next up, we got the Old Dominion and the Arkansas game. This one is intriguing for me because of Arkansas. So Arkansas is projected to score 83 points, according to Ken Palm. They have it 83 to 63. Now, the problem is with Arkansas, though, and, and Musselman does this. He, at the start of a season, tries out all kinds of different crazy lineups and all kinds of different rotations just to see what he's got in all of his guys. Because generally speaking, Arkansas teams are built up of a bunch of transfers and they just really take forever to kind of come together and gel. And so the beginning of the season is a lot of experimentation for Arkansas year in and year out. And that's what you've kind of seen this year. They play massively deep bench and they play two massive blowouts so far. So it's really hard to tell who's actually going to be the best players for Arkansas as the season goes on. Now, here's what we do know. L. Ellis is a Louisville transfer. He was really all Louisville had last year. It was kind of like last year when he was on Louisville. It was like the AAU team that had the one kid that was good, but the rest of the guys on the team were just scrubs. And so you could just kind of tell where the ball was going and team could really gear up to stop L. Ellis. And he was their only ball handler too. So if you pressured him, got the ball out of his hands, Louisville was really in trouble. Well, he doesn't have that problem now that he's on Arkansas. But he also hasn't been as high of a usage player with Arkansas that he was at Louisville. So he's a guy that we know has a high ceiling from history, but he hasn't shown it yet at his current school. He's also the only player on this team, though, who's played more than 60% of the total available minutes. That just goes to show you um, how many guys this Arkansas team is playing, but also how important they think L. Ellis is, that he is the only guy who has crossed that threshold. Now, Devo Davis and Tremont Mark are the rest of their backcourt. Davis is a guy that we played a ton last year just because he's a guy who just pops off randomly and has these big games, um, and he can have really hot shooting nights. He hasn't had one yet. In fact, he's only taken 13 total shots so far this season, but he's a guy that I think has a little bit of upside, and you can definitely throw a dart at just, you know, because we played him a lot last year. Trevon Brazil is the guy that I am the most interested in on this Arkansas team, though. Last year, he was a freshman who looked really good at the start of the season. You know, he kind of wowed some people at Maui when Arkansas went out and looked good out there. Um, and 
he uh, tore his ACL. And so he was, you know, went from a projected NBA first round pick to now rehabbing ACL. He came back to Arkansas this year to kind of re-improve his draft stock. And he's sitting here at $5,200, which is about $2,000 cheaper than he was priced last season. And he's got a pretty similar role to what he had last season. They just haven't really been pushed in a game yet. And so you're looking at a guy at $5,200 who probably should be about $6,000 to $7,000. I think he's a clear misprice. And I think even as uncertain as Arkansas is, I think he is a guy that you can play in your lineups with confidence from this Arkansas team. Now, Old Dominion, on the other hand, they're only projected 63 points. They're also a super small team. They only play one guy in their rotation who's taller than 6'7", and he doesn't even really play a lot. Chaunce Jenkins and Tyrone Williams and Varian, or I'm sorry, Chaunce Jenkins, Tyrone Williams, and Bashan Alet. I almost misread my own notes there. Chance Jenkins, Tyrone Williams, and Vashawn Vallette are their highest usage players, and they're probably going to contribute in stuff other than scoring as well, um, especially on the boards because this team doesn't have a whole lot of rebounders. So I think all three of those guys are in play for me, if I'm being honest, but they're not. any of them aren't, aren't guys that I'm super excited about. Maybe Alette possibly because you're looking at a pretty cheap price tag for a guy who's going to be out there a lot and going to be contributing on the boards. Um, RJ Blakeney though is a guy I'm interested in on this old Dominion team. So, um, I've said this on the podcast before, but there's some teams here in college basketball that I know really well. I know my Texas Longhorns. I know my Charlotte 49ers. I know my dad's team, the Dayton Flyers, and I know all the North Carolina teams. Well, RJ Blakeney is a transfer from Dayton. He was a starter at Dayton. And he is not starting for Old Dominion yet this season. R.J. Blakeney is a really athletic wing that I think is probably should be starting for this Old Dominion team. He is not much of a shooter, um, but he is a guy who is athletic. He can defend. He can rebound. And in a game where you're looking at a team where Old Dominion's taken on a much more athletic, much bigger Arkansas team, they could turn to R.J. Blakeney for some extended minutes, and he would not look out of place in this game. So, you know, very cheap price tag of only $3,200. Hasn't done a whole lot this season, but just banking on the guy's pedigree, he's a guy that I might take a chance on if I'm looking for a punt play. Next up... You've got South Dakota State at Kansas State, and this is a fun game. This is probably one of my favorite games on the slate. It's projected to be Kansas State 84-71. to Both these teams can get up and down. Both these teams like to score points. Tyler Perry, um, not the Medea Tower Perry, not the House of Pain meet the Browns Tower Perry, but Tower Perry, um, the former North Texas guard Tower Perry, is Kansas State's best player. And he's had 48 and 34 fantasy points in their first two games, which is pretty solid. He's displayed a really high floor. He's probably one of my favorite high-priced cash game options because he's a guy that you know is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Now, surprisingly, though, the guy who has had the ball in his hands the most in the first two games is Cam Carter. He's actually led the team in usage rate through two games, and he's actually pretty much hit five times value in both the two games so far. Um... And I think he's a really solid play. I think you can play Perry and Carter together. They've shown the ability to get to um, value together. Um, it's definitely a guy that I think you can go to with confidence here on this slate. And, and I think that that usage rate for Cam Carter, I think it'll eventually flip to Tower Perry. But if they're both seeing a high rate of usage, then I think they're both in play. Day Day Ames is a guy that I like as well. He's only $3,800. He was a disappointment in the opener against USC, but he bounced back big time against Bellarmine for 27.5 fantasy points. This guy's got potential to really give you some value. I don't think you can play all three Kansas State guards, but I do think you can mix and match Perry and Carter and Ames, and all of them are legitimate, legitimate options here on this 10-game slate. Now, South Dakota State, 
I actually think for all the teams that are probably going to get beat by double digits on this slate, I think they're the easiest one to target. And the reason why is because they pretty much only play five guys. That makes things really easy for DFS because it not only means that those five guys have their floor increased, but also their ceiling increased as well because you know that they're going to be out there on the floor. And if one of them gets hot, they're going to stay in the game because they're going to be in the game anyway. So South Dakota State, really easy to find ways to get these guys in your lineup. No bench player on this team has played more than 12 minutes in a game yet for South Dakota State. That's a wild stat. Now, Zeke Mayo is their highest usage player, 45.25 fantasy points against Akron. Just really solid play. He's going to have the ball a lot, and if South Dakota State keeps this game close, it's because of him. Now, the rest of that starting five is Kyle Easley, Apple, and Gary. Um, and, and like I said, they pretty much never come off the court. Now, Apple uh, and Kyle are the two that I would be interested in. Um, Willie, William Kyle the third, I should say. That's a much more formal name than just calling him Kyle. Um, so William Kyle the third, 24.25 fancy points in their first game. Doesn't come off the floor and, and eight for 11 from the field. I think he's a pretty solid option. He really didn't contribute to the boards a whole lot, but I don't think Kansas State is a team that's going to dominate the glass or, or like really own the boards. So I, I, I could definitely see Kyle and Apple, you know, showing up on the glass and, and, and kind of helping their team contribute that way because Kansas State's not going to be a team who's going to get every offensive and defensive rebound. All right, now Xavier for Purdue is next up um, on um, the list, and this is one of the better game environments of the night. It's one of the better games of the night. It's probably um, one of the most marquee games of the night that people are going to be watching. So it's projected to be 82-70 to 70 in favor of Purdue. Look, every time you talk about Purdue, it's, it kind of starts and ends with Zach Eady. He's the na- reigning national player of the year. He is a giant, and he is really good at basketball. And, and you know, his price tag, 10800 I still don't think that's enough. I think he's one of the safest bets on the slate to get to four times value. Even in a blowout, even in a game where he doesn't play a full minutes load, he can still get you there. Um, and I expect him to do so against Xavier. I'm not super duper interested in any other Boilermaker other than Zach Eady, but I will say the only other two starters who have usage rates north of 20% are Braden Smith and Lance Jones. I think they're both in play, especially if you wanted to stack with Edie if you think this game really ends up being um, a high-scoring game, but I'm not interested in any Purdue guys other than those two. Xavier, on the other hand, is an interesting team, so I will give uh, Sean Miller credit. Yes, Sean Miller's back at Xavier. Wild, right? Um, I will give him credit that he pieced together a pretty solid roster, even with the injuries that they've had to deal with and the guys that were kind of surprise entrance into the draft that he had to deal with last season. So Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle are out. That was supposed to be their starting front court this year. There were there were turners from last year, and he's really pieced together the rest of the roster with transfers. Quincy Olivari is a guy that was really good at Rice. Hasn't really had a big-time game yet here at Xavier, but he really filled up the stat sheet at Rice last season. So he's a guy that I definitely think has a high ceiling. If Xavier keeps this close, it could be because he has himself a pretty big game. However, the guys that I'm interested in are the guys that have shown a higher uh, usage rate so far through this point in the season, which is Abu Usman, the North Texas transfer, and Desmond Claude, the kind of young guy coming up in the Xavier program. Claude was a backup last year who, when a few guys were out with injury, had some really big performances, and I really do like him here in this one at only $5,100. He's not really a super efficient scorer, but he doesn't have to be. He contributes in ways other than scoring, and I really do like the play. Abu Usman is going to be the guy who draws the assignment of Zach Eady, which, good luck, brother. Um, I really think that he's going to be a guy that he's going to have 
have to be out on the floor a lot. And if he can stay out of foul trouble, um, he's going to be playing a big minutes load. He's going to have plenty of opportunities for rebounds from, from the Zach Eady hook shots. Now, UC Santa Barbara at UTEP is the number one game that it's like, why is this on the DraftKings main slate? I don't know. I don't mind it, but I don't know why it's on the slate. I think they were just determined to get the 10 games. They're like, you know what? UCSB UTEP, let's throw it on there. Um, so it's projected to be UTEP 72. Um, that must be a typo in my notes. 72 to 70 is the projected score here in this one. Neither of these teams really get up and down. UTEP has played two non-Division One opponents. They've scored over 100 points in both those games, but like, it's kind of like an intramural game where like they were playing one of the frat teams that wasn't any good and they could just kind of do whatever they wanted um, and they knew they were going to win. So we don't really knew we don't really know what the usage rates, rotations, we don't know what any of that looks like for UTEP. I apologize also to anybody who played on a frat year and real team that was actually good. I'm just speaking from my own experience at Charlotte where we ended up playing Kappa Sig my senior year and we beat them 82 to 20. So um, anyway, let's talk about UTEP. So they're returning two of their better players from last year in Tay Hardy and uh, Calvin Solomon. Those are probably the two guys that I would bank on the most, but I think they're reasonably priced is the problem. Um, so I don't really know if they're going to end up making my player pool or not. Elijah Jones is a transfer from ECU who's been really productive in the first two games. He's 16 for 17 from the field so far. That level of efficiency will not keep up, but hey, if it does, he's he's in line for a big-time performance, right? Um, now, two guys, that, or three guys that I need to mention are their bigs. Um, Kevin Kalou is their starting center, only $4,200 on DraftKings. And then you've got two backup big men, um, Derek Hamilton and then John Dos Anjos are backups that everybody that seems to write about UTEP seems to be really excited for those two guys. They're in the $3,000 range. They, they might be worth a shot to give you a shot at four or five times value. Um, just they're guys that everybody in that program seems to hype up. So may, maybe they actually end up being pretty good. Now on the UCSB side, this is a team that went to the NCAA tournament last season and gave Baylor everything they could handle. AJ Mitchell was the reigning Big West player of the year. He is their best player, and he missed the first two games of the season for them. I'm sorry, the first one game of the season for them. And if he does end up playing, he is going to be a misprice. He's a really solid player. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and this team would look entirely different if he ends up playing. Now, Anderson and Pierre Luis are the two guys for um, UCSB that have stepped up and carried more of a scoring load, carried more of a higher usage rate with the absence of A.J. Mitchell. So Josh Pierre Luis and Cole Anderson are two guys that are in play for me if we know that A.J. Mitchell is going to miss this game. And then Matia Bellick is a guy who has played more minutes than he normally would because of A.J. Mitchell being out. So those are kind of the beneficiaries of um, Mitchell being gone. Now, a guy that I think you can play whether or not Mitchell plays or not is their starting center, Johan Traore. Um, he's a flat three grand on DraftKings, which anytime you can get a guy who's going to start for his team at a flat three grand, like... That's pretty solid. Um, now, he didn't do a whole lot in game one. He played 24 minutes, 12.25 fantasy points, only three rebounds, um, which is kind of alarming. But, you know, a starting center at only three grand, like I'm willing to give it a shot if, if I need a pump play in one of my lineups because I want to squeeze in, you know, some more of the stars. He's definitely a guy who you can look at for that purpose. 
Last game of the night is Cal State Bakersfield at Cal. This is kind of another dud game here at the end of the night. Both these teams are in the 300s in terms of tempo. Um, it's projected to be Cal 73-64. to Not going to spend a super long time on this one. Fardaz Amac, the Texas Tech transfer, um, and Jaywin Tyson, also a Texas Tech transfer. Maybe they came together. Um, they are the two guys on this team that have a lot of usage. They've both been over 29% so far this season. Um, those two guys are going to have the ball in their hands a lot. They're going to have an opportunity to put up a lot of fantasy points. Jaywin Cohn and Devin Askew for Cal are guys that don't really do a whole lot else outside of scoring. Cone is a Northern Illinois or Northern Arizona transfer. He's actually from where I'm from. Um, I actually know his family. It's a super good family. Um, and I want to see him succeed. Um, he had a big time fantasy performance against Pacific, um, but it, he hasn't really done a whole lot else other than score so far this year. And he hasn't really been super efficient in scoring. So if he were to either up his efficiency or do more statistically, you could have a big-time performance from Jalen Cone because he is going to have the ball in his hands. He is going to get some shots up, but he needs to find a way to either up his efficiency or up what he does in the peripheral stats if he wants to be a legitimate DFS option. But if you want to be early on him as opposed to late, he's playable in this game. Um, Devin Askew, I kind of mentioned him as well. He's a Kentucky transfer, then a Texas transfer to Cal, um, and he's a guy that, you know, kind of like Cone, doesn't do a whole lot else outside of score. He turns the ball over a lot. That was kind of always his fatal flaw at his previous stops. Um, and he's a guy that I guess you could turn to, but I'm not super duper excited about. Now, Jaywin Celestine is a guy who's got a pretty number next to his name for his price tag, but uh, I'm not going to him. His one solid performance came when Jaywin Tyson was out. Um, so now that Jaywin Tyson is back, he didn't have the same role in game two. So, so don't just go by um, the points per game stat next to their name. When, when I look at early season and I see guys with a high points per game next to their name and a small price tag, then I kind of know that those guys are going to end up being the chalk plays because that's what everybody looks at. But I much prefer to look at usage and minutes um, as opposed to just just a raw fantasy point total. Now for Cal State Bakersfield, Caleb Higgins um, leads the team in minutes and usage. He's only $5,800, very reasonable price tag for him. I think he's a little bit underpriced. Um, he had 30 fantasy points in a blowout, 33 fantasy points in a close game. So you're looking at a guy who in two different types of game environments has found a way to hit value for his price tag. That's definitely a valuable skill to have. The rest of their starting five is McGee, Wilbon, Mark, and Clanceris. Um, Canceris or um, Can Canclaris nailed it. <laughs> so the rest of their starting five is McGee, Mark, um, Wilbon, and Canclaris. There we go, got it right that time. Um, McGee is probably the most interesting one for me. He has the second highest usage rate among all the starters, and he's just shooting five for eighteen from the field. So if he just finds a way to be more efficient from the field and, and knock some of those shots down, he could be a guy who would give you a big time, big time value tonight. All right, that does it for the Monday, November 13th, college basketball DFS slate. We will be back tomorrow to talk about the Tuesday slate, which is a big one. It's the Champions Classic. I'm very much looking forward to it. It'll be a good one, um, and you're going to want to see that episode. So make sure you hit subscribe. If you like what you saw on YouTube, please hit that like button. It helps me out, helps the videos get noticed, and lets everybody know that we're doing good work here at Mike's Money Picks. Um, and if you, again, if you want more from me, follow me on X at Mike's Money Picks. Join the Fantasy Corner Discord and check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money 
Mike Picks. And subscribe to the audio feed as well. That when we do an audio-only episode, um, you will be able to be notified when that drops. And you'll be able to find that one as well. So um, that's all I got for today, guys. Best of luck to everybody in all of your DSF, DFS endeavors. Um, hopefully, I was able to give you guys some good information to pick some winners tonight. Best of luck to you. Thank you guys for watching and listening. And I will see you next time. Thank you.